this is a tight slugfest for workforce and not just in our industry, all industries. It's a, it's a global uh, equitable problem for all of us. Welcome to Manufacturing Happy Hour, the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers. Manufacturing Happy Hour. Each week, we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. Hey, it's episode 146. Today, we're talking about workforce and how training programs, immigration policy, and the next generation, all of those and more, how those can all impact workforce in the construction industry specifically. But honestly, this episode really transfers to any heavy industry. Now, a few weeks ago, we released a gigantic compilation episode that we recorded over the course of two days in Washington, D.C. Specifically, I recently had a chance to attend the Association for Equipment Manufacturers. AEM, the celebration of construction equipment on the National Mall. Super cool event. Lots of heavy equipment all over the mall, right in front of the Capitol building in D.C. I was there a couple of months ago, and if you listened, you know that episode covered just like a ton of material. Everything from how new technologies are impacting construction, job site safety, asphalt recyclability, you name it. That episode had like 20 guests and segments from maybe 10 different interviews. But one of the topics that came up quite a bit in those conversations as well was workforce. And by now, everyone inside and outside of manufacturing and construction knows that workforce is an issue. But as I was facilitating that discussion during our final panel of the event, and there were three construction industry leaders on that panel, we're going to get you introduced to them once the interview actually gets rolling. But it was just one of those moments where I was like, hey, this specific conversation needs to be turned into its own podcast episode. It's one of the better, more holistic conversations about workforce that I've been a part of, and I'm going to tell you why. I mean, first, our panelists were sharing some specific programs and the tactics behind those programs that are attracting new talent to the construction industry. We also talked about how federal policy can impact workforce issues, and then we discussed retention strategies, STEM education, honestly, a lot of the things you'd expect from a conversation about workforce, but with specific ideas and proven practices on how how to get it done. So anyway, you're going to hear about all of that in just a second. And as always, if you want to learn more, if you want to connect with our panelists, you can do that at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 146. That'll take you to the show notes page. Speaking of the show notes page, if you like this episode, if you find it valuable, well, hey, my call to action to you is share the link to this episode with your top takeaway in a post on LinkedIn. If you tag me, I'll respond. It's one of those things that helps helps get the show on people's radars, just like leaving five-star reviews on iTunes or Spotify. All of that stuff helps. So whether you want to leave a review, whether you want to share a link to the episode, again, manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 146 is the simplified link. Hey, sharing that info out there with your friends, your colleagues, your connections, all of that helps out. Anyway, it's time to head back to Washington, D.C. for our panel discussion. This one's a little more than 20 minutes. It's just raw, straight-up conversation as the panel went down. I think you're going to like it. I'll be back to catch up with you here at the end. All right, everyone. 
We're here for our final expert panel of the day here at the celebration of construction equipment on the National Mall. And I can't think of a more appropriate topic to close out our segment than workforce. If you've been listening to the panels throughout the day, throughout yesterday, it's front of mind for basically everyone in this industry. And I'm excited to get the perspectives of these three individuals that we have sitting next to me. So we're going to do a quick round of introductions before we dive into the questions. So there, why don't we start with you and then go down the line to Steve. Can you tell us a bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, uh, great to be here. Uh, Thayer Long, I'm the executive director of the Independent Electrical Contractors Association. We're a federation of 52 training centers around the country. Uh, our primary program and mission is to train the workforce of tomorrow through our four-year DOL-approved uh, National Electrical Apprenticeship Program. So very apropos that we're talking about workforce development and excited to hear what our other panelists have to say and to share some thoughts. Well, thank you. Um, my name is Marcy Gelder murphy and I wear two hats. I am the current president-elect for the American Society of Civil Engineers. We are a professional organization that's located in 177 countries, and we have a little over 150,000 members, starting from college age up to, we call them life members, who've been in our profession for more than 35 years as members. And then I'm also a civil engineer, obviously, and I'm the regional director for a Midwest civil engineering firm responsible for the states of Missouri and Illinois. And I personally, on my other hat, am heavily involved in the workforce issue as well as ASCE. And I'm Steve Hall. I'm a senior vice president for the American Council of Engineering Companies. Uh, ACEC represents the nation's engineering industry. We've got uh, about 6,000 member companies around the country. We've got uh, 51 state organizations all working together to promote both the profession of engineering as well as uh, the engineering industry and the critical role it plays in you know, working with these folks out here in bringing projects to the public. Well, you clearly all bring a lot of experience and perspective to this place. I'm excited to get all your perspectives and we'll, we'll start with this first question. What are some short-term actions employers and particularly public employers could take to grow their applicant pools. Marcy, we'll start with you and then we'll go to Steve after that. Thank you. I appreciate that. You know, this is a tight slugfest for workforce and not just in our industry, all industries. It's a, it's a global uh, equitable problem for all of us. And on the public side, I think that you're going to have to take the cue of some of the private employers that are using flexible schedules, a hybrid work environment. I know in some instances we cannot do that, but they need to look at that. And really for our public agencies, they have got to step up the process to get someone on board. It is, like I said, a tight workforce slugfest for all of us out there. If you're taking more than 60 days to interview someone and offer them a job, you're You've lost the talent. They're not there anymore. Washington DOT is doing an excellent job. They're one of the DOTs that are actively involved as a partner to ASCE. And they have shrunk their days down to 60, which is still excessive when you're looking at it from a private standpoint. 
but is an incredible leap of improvement for a public agency. And so we need all of our public agencies to do that. But we all have to think about flexibility and we need to think about hybrid. You know, it used to be on the private side, we'd be reaching out to college juniors and seniors. Now we're looking at freshmen and sophomores and we're even getting involved as mentors for high school EDD and Project Lead the Way programs. Excellent. Steve? Yeah, I, and I would concur with everything that was just said. Uh, in fact, our members worry about the time it takes their DOT clients, for example, to, uh, to hire talent because we need engineers there if we're going to move projects forward. So, and we're all complete competing for that scarce talent pool. No, I think, I mean, firms are, are having to respond with, you know, increases in salaries. Uh, a lot of firms, like what was said previously, are working with the major engineering schools in the state, even working with community colleges to design curriculums, because not everything that we need requires a licensed engineer. Sometimes, it, you know, engineering um, uh, technicians and other positions that support the engineering staff are equally critical. And so working with those two-year colleges to, uh, to fit that need and even reaching down into the high schools. I mean, the firms are, are having to more and more push the envelope and identify uh, young people that, um, you know, have an aptitude and, and, and might aspire to, to, to be an engineer uh, to start to attract them through internships and other, other ways to, to get them thinking about engineering as a career. Yeah, I think uh, an, an interesting thread across all your answers is you kind of spanned the education gamut, right? From freshmen in high school, I'm sure there are things to do with middle schoolers as well, or even younger than that. Marcy, do you have a thought on this? Your mic is right up, right up. So I think I you have do. something to add. You know, the idea is that we've got to move people to the opportunities. And we have many, many people that are in communities that don't know about the opportunities that are there. And then we've got these people who are, you know, employers who are looking for people and we've got to bridge that gap. And one of the things that the Illinois Department of Transportation just recently did, they did a partnership with a um, university, SIU Carbondale, and they're doing a civil engineering technician certification program where it's not only paid for and it's and it's for people in underrepresented areas, but they are also paid if they stay in the program, they pass the test, they take the coursework. And what we don't understand is that, well, why aren't people taking advantage of this opportunity? They have to survive too. So let's move the people to the opportunities. It's going to be best for all of us. Thank you for adding that. And Thayer, I know you've been patient on this one, and this has been a big topic, so no doubt this discussion took a little bit, but Thayer, help, help us with this one as well. Yeah, this is a big topic. So you're looking at how are we attracting fewer, ultimately a pool of fewer people um, into all of our workforces. And, and as uh, other panels have said, this is not unique to the construction industry. And you know, when you look at the demographics, they're working against every employer right now. There's fewer people out there, uh, starting with the Great Recession in 2008. So I don't think we've seen the cliff yet. I think the cliff, the cliff is coming. So what that really means is you got to make sure your, your workforce is qualified, the people that are in, in the workforce qualified. So that means working with various partners across the construction sector. And working through an apprenticeship program is, is significant. You have a job. It's an earn-while-you-learn model. What a great way to attract people into an industry by giving them a job and then training them as they're earning. Uh, so that's that's a significant model. So 
we're seeing terrific interest in our apprenticeship program and I think apprenticeship programs across the board. And look, ultimately there's only so much and as a as an employer, you know, we certainly do support the hybrid model, but there's some things that you just can't remote work and that's installing uh, in construction projects and we're just going to have to find more people to uh, to put the work in place. So since the initial responses of high school, colleges of all shapes and sizes, we've added younger than high school, underrepresented groups, as well as apprenticeship programs. So lots of ways to address this, lots of solutions. I think a big part of it is, you know, just taking the action to make those happen. But, you know, I'm curious, are there policy levers at play that could potentially help train and engage this next workforce needed to execute, let's say, the infrastructure bill specifically? Steve, let's start with you and then we'll go down the line. There's a few things on the public policy side that could help. You know, we did a study of the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act when it was nearing completion just to figure out what we would need to do this to realize the possibilities there. And our findings, we need 82,000 more engineers on top of what we have now to really push that program forward. So, I mean, this, this challenge is critical right now. And this doesn't take into account the other things Congress has done through the, uh, the IRA and the CHIPS legislation and, and initiatives like that. So I think Congress and the administration can help us in the short term through changes in uh, immigration policy. Uh, more H-1B visas and other visa categories that will allow us to keep the best and the brightest from around the globe that are coming here in, and coming to our engineering schools and getting you know, engineering degrees, very often getting advanced degrees. And we lose them because we simply don't have an immigration policy that is aligned with a competitiveness policy. So we need to lift the cap. It's been in place for far too long to make more of those visas available so we can put these folks to work. They want to stay here. They want to work for our firms, our DOTs, and, uh, and move this program forward. So that's critical. I think STEM education, you know, and again, getting into the education space. What can we do to, to fund those programs, to make them more effective, and to start to change the way we talk to young people about a career in engineering, it's, it's, it's more than just math and science. Uh, you know, many young people are very purpose-driven. They want to pursue careers that have meaning. You know, they want to do something about climate change. They want to do something uh, to ensure, you know, communities have access to clean water, uh, uh, you know, social equity. I mean, there's a lot of drivers that I think motivate young people today. And I don't think they always think about engineering as a, a way of accomplishing those goals. So messaging that like that to, uh, to young people through STEM programs and others. And then finally, sometimes it's even simple things, different types of contracts. You know, when in the work that our members do for state DOTs, the DOTs tend to use a certain type of contract cost plus contracts versus what the federal government does, which is a lump sum contract. And the lump sum gives us a little bit more flexibility if we need to put more dollars into the salary bucket to attract and keep talent. That's just a simple, easy button that's already authorized in law that could help us to address the workforce challenges, attract the talent that we need to help clients move the program forward. We'll be right back, right after a word from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Traction. 
Now, I just got to know this company not too long ago after interviewing their founder, Igor Marinelli, on this podcast. Traction is an all-in-one hardware software solution that integrates condition monitoring IoT sensors and an asset management software, and it's all designed to make maintenance more streamlined, reliable, and profitable. Honestly, after hearing Igor's story, this doesn't come as a surprise, seeing as how he too worked on a maintenance team at a paper mill and has since been on a mission to empower frontline workers. Igor and the team at Traction are doing this through a predictive maintenance solution that is the most advanced on the market due to their patented USPTO-recognized fault detection technology. By having accurate and actionable data and by preventing faults before they actually happen, Traction is saving manufacturers an average of $10 million per trimester. If you want to learn more about Traction, head to Traction.com. And if you want to hear Igor's full story and why he believes frontline workers are at the center of manufacturing innovations, then tune into episode 127 by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 127 or wherever you get your podcasts. And now back to today's episode. Well, I wanted to follow up on Steve, which I agree 100%. And getting back to 100% numbers, I'm an engineer, so this is a math problem, right? So when you look at countries like Germany, Belarus, uh, South Korea, UAE, 30% of their graduates are STEM graduates, 30%. The United States, it's 19. It's a math problem, okay? We just do not have enough people within the United States. So I reiterate what Steve said about the H-1B visas. We have got to improve our immigration program. It's, it's very restrictive and arbitrary. This is not a political football. This is an urgent call to our policymakers to do what is best for the growth and expansion of our country. And it means that we're going to have to use more immigration sources because they're producing more engineers. You know, it's a simple math problem. The other policy issue that I think we need to address is our our workforce and our and our is also an issue, but also the 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 businesses that are participating to provide the services that we need. And a lot of those businesses are minority and women-owned WBE businesses. We have got to get a more uniform way for them to be certified. Right now, if you're working in the area where I am, in the St. Louis metro area, you've got to get certified by the state of Illinois. You've got to get certified by the state of Missouri. You've got to get certified by some of the individual agencies that do work there. You've got to get certified by the federal government. It is too burdensome for these communities of businesses that are willing, ready, and able to do work. The other issue or the other math problem that I want to share is when you look at our community, our engineering community, we do not represent even 50% of the demographics that are in our population. When you look at women, when you look at brown and black people, when you look at indigenous people, not in any one of those categories do we hit 50% of the population. We have got to do a better job. So agree, agree with my fellow panelists on uh, really just two things. One, absolutely right. It is a math problem. Since 2008, 2009, as I said earlier, the birth rate in this country has seen a continued decline. So what does that mean? What does that portend in a couple of years from now when those to be 18 and 19 year olds are not there? So we have to do something. 
you know, immigration is a, it seems to be a sensible solution there to, to bring more people in to physically do the work. And then I think from an apprenticeship standpoint, you know, if, if the government put a quarter of the amount of effort into promoting an apprenticeship and a career in the construction trade than they did, you know, subsidizing and supporting four-year college education, we have a tremendous impact in order to bring more people um, into our into our field. Excellent answers across the board. We've got about seven minutes left for our next two questions. This has been superb discussion. I'm definitely going to be borrowing the the slugfest line for the workforce that you shared, Marcy and. Steve, I like what you shared about, hey, we don't have an immigration policy that's aligned with our competitiveness policy. That's what that's what I heard from some of the key quotes from this discussion so far. There, you've been batting cleanup so far, so you get to lead this next one off. So have you seen successful retention strategies taken by employers to keep the workforce engaged and satisfied with their work? We, we have, and, and we're working on that now. When you look across apprenticeship programs, uh, it's not atypical to to lose about half of the people that have come into the construction industry end up leaving after four years. And I'm talking about frontline construction workers, people who are installing the work, putting the jobs in place. Why? Why, why are they leaving? The, why are they leaving the trade? Isn't it better to keep somebody that you've gotten than, than, than spending resources to try to bring new people into the trade? So we're looking at that closely. We're looking at education styles, learning styles from the adult perspective as they're coming in, whether or not they want to be an electrician, a plumber, uh, an operating engineer. We're looking at learning styles to, to keep them uh, more in place, more captivated. We're also working with our members. You know, you've got four generations in the workforce right now. That's four different types of work styles and culture styles that we need to address. And so there's a lot of education that needs to be done, particularly in a, let's face it, an industry that's very traditional, uh, that can be come across as very macho. It can, it's, it's, got a, it's got a culture that may not resonate with the new breed of worker that we're looking for. So we're, we're really educating our own members and our own industry uh, about, you know, things and practices they can put in place in order to, to keep people that, that are genuinely interested in being an electrician or, or, or being, a, you know, like I said, a plumber, steel worker, that kind of thing. So uh, I think it's very important that we look inward on our retention versus looking for, you know, outside help on this one. Steve, we'll jump to you next. Yeah, this is something that uh, that engineering companies work very hard on to, to not only attract the talent, but keep the talent. I tell you, for younger engineers, work-life balance is critical. And I think the industry is responding to that with, you know, a mix of, you know, in-the-office workdays and hybrid and, and virtual workdays to address that need. You know, the other thing that the industry, and I've seen this, I've been with this organization for over 20 years now, and ownership has become an increasingly important uh, way of attracting and keeping folks, you know, giving people, you know, a piece of the company and a stake in the success of the company, I think has been a critical part of, of that retention strategy. You know, if I could just follow up, one of the things, and I couldn't agree more with there, Steve, we are doing things the way we've always done them. And that's what he was alluding to as well. And this is a brave new world. It's just different. And when you talk about the generations that are entering the workforce, we have a generation entering the workforce that are digital natives. They've known the digital way of doing things since they were born. And we have to shift. We cannot keep doing things the way we've always done them. 
Yeah, excellent. This has been a very strong discussion to end our our panel topics on. You know, one last question. Think of it as a bit of a, a lightning round. Like, let's look at one minute answers to this one. Marcy, we'll start with you and then we'll go to you, Thayer, and then finish with you, Steve. The question is, what are some of the actions your group is taking to grow the pipeline and engaging younger people to join the profession? So, Oh, my gosh. Um, ASE has been involved in K through 12 initiatives for a long time, but we're taking even a greater importance to it because we know we've got to grow the profession. And so we get involved at the school preschool level. And one of the greatest uh, initiatives currently that we're working on is Future World Vision. And we're also doing an accompanying IMAX movie that's going to be released in October. It's a way to get kids excited about engineering infrastructure. It's going to make it exciting and, and I dare I say sexy. You know, it's just one of those mundane things that we were like, well, it has to be done. It's got to No, We want kids to know this is the big build era. So we want you involved. And that's what we're doing to reach out at the youngest ages. Well, you know, as I stated earlier, I mean, IEC is a essentially uh, at its core, a workforce development uh, organization for our members, you know, for the for the merit shop, non-union contractors. It is it is who we are it is what we do going K through 12, going to the high schools, uh, looking at individuals who have gone from high school and maybe have boomeranged back right in their early 20s because they pursued something that wasn't the right fit for them. We have a variety of resources, channels, outreach that we're doing across all those sectors. I think the most important thing we can do is to uh, remain relevant as, a, as an organization um, to the industry that we're serving. And it could be, you know, maybe the most important electrician on a job uh, one day is not the individual pulling the wire. It's the it's the person with the iPad that's programming all the bit building integration into the into the building. So talking about that, it's that story uh, and showcasing our industry um, and what the career possibilities are is really where we're focused. All right, Steve, we've got two folks on base and you're batting cleanup. Hit us a home run with your Okay, well, I, and I tell you what, <laughs> they made the, the, the critical points there. I think for the perspective of engineering, like I said before, we need to talk to prospective young engineers differently about what a career means. We're actually working on a project with ASCE and APWA where we're doing events like this where we showcase a very successful project and transformational projects and talk about not the engineering specifics, but what does that project mean to a community in terms of, of you know, satisfying a number of different goals that really make a difference for the people that live in that community. And I think the more we can talk about that and connect engineers role in doing that, I think we'll have some success in getting more kids to think about engineering as a career and stick with it. All three of you have brought some incredible insights, perspectives to this conversation. And as we're talking about the workforce, been looking around at the equipment out here. I'm seeing the future workforce jumping out of their strollers and onto the construction equipment as uh, as we're having this conversation. So with the things you're doing, the things we're seeing, I'm optimistic that the future is bright. And I just want to thank you and everyone that's been listening to these conversations for taking the time today. Thanks, everyone. Thank, thank you. you. Hey, thanks for listening. Hope you found that valuable. I know I got a number of good takeaways from that. 
everything from that whole earn while you learn model and then I love those stats that Marcy was sharing around workforce and immigration and just the very objective need for more people coupled with like all those specific suggestions right I mean the panelists talked about the visas as an immediate solution just a lot of good stuff there and if you want to connect with Marcy Thayer and Steve we'll head to the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 146 there you can also learn more about their organizations the American Society of Civil Engineers the American Council of Engineering Companies the Independent Electrical Contractors and of course AEM the Association for Equipment Manufacturing Again, all of that is over at the show notes page. A couple things before we wrap up. First, I do want to say, since you made it to the end of this episode, I am leading more panel discussions like this at events on a regular basis. If you want me to be a part of your event, to help you out, to MC it, whatever it is, email me at info at manufacturinghappyhour.com with the subject panel, and we can chat about how I might be able to help you with your next event or panel conversation. I also want to thank the Association for Equipment Manufacturers one more time for making this episode possible, as well as our sponsor, Traction. And lastly, if you found this episode helpful, hey, send it to a friend, a colleague. I know at the start I mentioned about sharing it on LinkedIn. You can do that. But hey, a direct message, a text message, an email, whatever it is that helps spread the word, all of that helps out, especially for a topic like workforce. I know this is front of mind for a lot of manufacturing leaders. So if you know someone that could benefit from listening to this episode or listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour in general, hey, shoot them a link, manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 146. Anyway, thanks for sticking around this week. Stay innovative, stay thirsty. We'll catch you again next time. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Powered by the Industrial Network.